Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3 and verse 16. We picked on Stella too much. So, Anthony's going on a drive with me in my car. And uh, silence is a little awkward and surprising since it's Anthony in the car. Um, So... Anthony from the passenger seat reaches down and he finds the radio. He tunes to his favorite NPR station and all of a sudden I hear some big fat opera singer. I'm like, that's weird. And it sounds strange too. So I reach down and turn that off, of course. He sees me turn it off, turn it off, and reaches down and turns it back on. All right, who gets to control the music? Is it me or is it him? Hmm. Who? We're we're playing moral conscience again, like we have every. Each morning, Isaac, who has the right? I do. Why? Because I am obviously more important. Well, that may be true. Um, Why is that true, though? Because it's my car. I'm the owner. So you remember back on Tuesday, we talked about the key principle of separation, and that is the fact that we don't belong to ourselves. God is our owner. He gave us the body we have, and if we're saved, he, uh, he, he purchased our body with his own blood by his death on the cross, and he tells us to offer it to him as a living sacrifice. He says, I want to live inside that. That's my house. That's my dwelling place. He's the owner He's the occupant. He's the resident. He gets to say what goes and what doesn't go, even with our body. And we laid that out, I think, uh, pretty uh, clear on Tuesday. And then yesterday, we dealt with a very important issue of dress. What does the Bible have to say about what we should wear, uh, how we should dress? And we laid out some very clear principles and some very clear questions that you can ask when you're evaluating your wardrobe or you're evaluating your clothing, all right? We talked about the, the, the need to cover what God considers as naked. We talked about the, the need to be modest or modest. We gave those two questions. Does it cover and does it conceal? And it needs to do both in order for it to, to be modest. And that answers a lot of questions. And then we also covered the issue of gender distinction, The fact that God has made male and female, and they should be different, they should act different, and God says they should even dress different. And so is there a distinction? And so we laid out some things with that issue yesterday. Now we come to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, and we probably should have this memorized since we've been quoting it for the last couple of services as one of our memory verses. But it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
Today we're going to talk about music. What does the Bible say about my music? And let's have a word of prayer and we'll dig in to the message this morning or this afternoon. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. I thank you that you don't leave us without direction in this world. That you do give us timeless principles. We can apply those timeless principles in very specific ways in our lives. I pray that we would not be guilty as believers of just doing what feels good, going with the flow. But I pray that we would be very careful to understand your principles, to then in our own lives as we grow and mature and get to this place where we are setting our own boundaries, I pray that you'd help us to set those boundaries, not based on what we think or what we feel or what other people tell us, but we would do so based on what we understand for ourselves from your word. Teach us this morning, or this afternoon we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have trouble with the morning-afternoon thing today, apparently. Um, but we talked about um, the idea of standards and principles. And you remember, it's the principles that we find in God's word. They are black and white. They are what they are. God gave them to us. They don't change, all right? They stay consistent. It's the principles that we find in God's word. And those are the non-negotiables. Right? God has clearly laid it out. And then we have a responsibility individually, and we have a measure of Christian liberty in these areas of saying, all right, what are some specific ways in which I can set up some boundaries to protect that principle so I don't, I don't run the risk or run the danger of violating that principle? And let me just add, before we dig into our subject, we need to be careful of this issue uh, of looking upon others and judging other people by our specific standard. All right, now we can go to the scripture, we can say, all right, this is the principle, and therefore I've drawn this line, but someone else's line might be different than your line. But here's the important issue. The important issue is, number one, have you drawn clear lines in your life? And then number two, how did you come to that conclusion? Was it just based on how you were raised? what was allowed in your family, uh, what you feel, what you like, because that's how most people draw those lines. Or they, they find a group of people they like, and they say, well, everyone else is doing that, so therefore I should do that. That's th those are not good reasons, all right? We need to start with the principle and then, and then say, this is where I'm drawing the boundaries in my life, and I'm not going to necessarily look down my long pointed nose at someone else who doesn't draw the boundaries in the exact same way that I do. Because God doesn't draw, you know, clear, this is, you know, he doesn't define everything. The Bible's not a rule book defining every single behavior there is to define. He does, though, give us principles. And we want to be careful about violating those principles. When we come to the issue of music, as with all of these issues that we've talked about, even the world seems to understand that there is acceptable music and there's music that's, not acceptable, or at the very least, it's, it's fringe, and we would say is clearly wrong. I mean, music that talks about raping women and, and uh, shooting police officers and, and violence and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we can, we can pretty much agree that music is wrong, right? I mean, can, can we agree with that? Nobody, nobody objects, right? Well, that's good, all right? Um, so even the world has, you know, there, there's, some, there's some music that's kind of out of bounds 
And then for us as Christians, we know that there is good music. We just read that verse. The Bible talks about good music that teaches and admonishes us. That are, It's made up of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we know good music exists. So we've got good music and we've got bad music, right? I think we can all agree to that. Now, what about everything that falls in between? How do we know what is good and what is bad? Because music is something that is very significant. We could say this, music is powerful. And why is it powerful? Because music is a language. And it's a language because what does language do? It communicates, right? You use language to communicate your thoughts, your emotions, your your feelings, your perspectives to other people. Um, So you use the, the, the English language, right? Uh, to communicate those, those thoughts and, and those, those feelings. But music is, is a language because it communicates, but it's different than a language in that it clearly communicates and it is a language of emotions. Music tells us what to feel. And therefore, it, 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 it has great potential, has great power. And this is something that in in the stage of life that you're in is something you need to take specific note of. And I don't know exactly how, how, why this is the case, but there's just something about the stage of life that you are in. And, And perhaps it is because some of the emotions you're just sort of exploring and experiencing for the first time. This emotional experience that comes along with music is especially powerful in your adolescent and young adult years. As an adult, it kind of levels out, and perhaps that it's due to maturity and, and a, a broader perspective. That doesn't mean it, it, it doesn't have power anymore. It's just, I'm just saying that during this time in your life, it has incredible power. It has significant power in your life. And so, as an emotional language, consider these few things before we get into some principles today. As an emotional language, music is universal. That means it's understood by everyone because God almost, you know how when you, when you, were, um, a little, when you were a little baby, you, you had to learn language, you had to learn to communicate with language, um, it had to be something that you uh, took in over time and you learned. Music is like hardwired into us. God wrote the language into who we are as human beings. And so it's It's universal. I heard of a study that was done not that long ago. Fascinating study. They went and they found the most remote, untouched tribes by, uh, by the, the culture of the world at large. So these would be people who would live outside of the norms of culture. And they came into those tribes and they showed them pictures of different emotions. Perhaps they showed them a picture of sadness. Perhaps they show them a picture of of jubilation, of excitement, a picture of war. All these different pictures that, because, I mean, from our culture, we know we can see what's going on in that picture. And then they they said, we're going to play some music for you. And you point to which picture that music goes with. Do you know without fail, they pointed to the same picture that you and I would point to? I mean, there's... there's, there's no chance that our culture's commingled at all. There's no chance that they're just, they're just uh, 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 pointing out those things because they've co- sort of seen that in their culture. No, 
They've been separated from all that. But music communicated to them, and they said, this, this music is pictured by this photograph. And they drew that correlation. Because music is, is universal. It's understood by all. As an emotional language, music is spiritual. Spiritual? Well, just think about it. All religions utilize music for worship. Even religions that worship Satan himself use music for worship. Now, there's all different kinds and, and, and different types and ways in which it's used. The point is this, though. All religions utilize music for worship. In the Old Testament, we find, and if you, if you start doing the math and, and, and counting, do you realize that, that Solomon had uh, hundreds of thousands of brass players? That's a big orchestra. I mean, I can understand a you know, big orchestra being a couple hundred, but hundreds of thousands? Solomon had uh, uh, a choir of singers, almost, uh, I think it was around 200,000. That's a big choir. I thought 100 was big. We'll talk about KZA choir today, and, and that's cool to sing in a big choir like that. But, I mean, that's, that's huge, and, and that was all for the purpose of worshiping God in that place of the temple. And so music has the potential to be, because, because it's spiritual, it has the potential to have a positive spiritual impact, which means it also has the potential to have a negative spiritual impact. So this is something that we ought to take note of. And we've already mentioned this before, but as an emotional language, music is powerful because it transcends verbal language. It can communicate what verbal language cannot. It can communicate uh, what the, the emotions that verbal language, while you could use your imagination to kind of use the words and translate them into emotions, but it, music can, can communicate those emotions without leaving it up to the imagination of the, the reader or, or the listener. That's how powerful it is. I mean, think about how powerful music was for Paul and Silas in the jail at Philippi, singing at midnight. They brought the house down, all right? Literally, they brought the house down. I understand that was the power of God was at work there and he was rescuing them, but it was their song that, 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 uh, that God chose to, to bless with deliverance at that specific time. Music is powerful because it's an emotional language. Do you realize that music is so important to God that God created a special angel to oversee its use in heaven? It's so significant that it has a place in heaven and God made a special angel who is distinct from all the other angels just to oversee how it's used in heaven. And you know who that angel is, right? Or was. Lucifer. The most skilled, talented, gifted, wise musician that the universe has ever seen. Lucifer. God created him that way. But of course, you understand that now, Lucifer is Satan, the devil, and he is your enemy. So you have the most wise, most talented, most skilled musician the universe has ever seen 
who knows how to utilize music to its fullest potential in the most powerful possible way. He knows the effects of this powerful medium. And it's his desire and his goal to influence you and me through it. If we will allow him. And it's incredibly sad, and I know I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit. It's, it's incredibly sad to see Christians who are absolutely clueless to that truth alone being led like sheep to the slaughter. They have no idea what's going on and what's happening to them. But their enemy knows exactly what's going on. And he does it on purpose for a specific reason. And that reason, by the way, is to destroy your life. And the devil can and will use music to destroy your life if you let him. Okay, so we come back to this this issue. All right, music is important. It's an emotional language. It's a powerful language. It communicates to our emotions. And we know there's right music and wrong music. All right, so what direction do we have as far as choosing the right kind of music that we listen to. What, what direction do we have for God when you say, you know what, I just like to listen to something and I'm about ready to turn on whatever device I'm using. I'm in the car, I'm about ready to, I don't know if anyone actually does this anymore and choose a radio station, perhaps some of you do that um, or you will do that when you, when you get to the point of driving but um, you're going you're gonna, to uh, tune uh, uh, Pandora and Spotify to, to your uh, musical taste and that. What are you going to listen to? Does God have anything to say? Well, I think he does. So let's start with some principles. We lay out these principles, and then it's up to you to say, all right, let me define some boundaries. Now, again, like we mentioned the last couple days, for most of you, your parents have done this for you. Or, or for, for all of you in here, there's, there's some things that we say, this is allowed and this is not allowed in school. This is allowed, this is not allowed in church. Things like that. Because we have to draw lines. We have to draw boundaries somewhere. But the, 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 uh, the purpose of this series is for you to understand the principles so that when you get to be an adult, you draw your own boundaries, not based on your emotions, not based on what, what feels good, but based on what you see the Bible is saying and what the principles are. So let's start with the first principle, the principle of purpose. And I put a little question which, with each of these to help you evaluate. And the question is this. Why? So the purpose, all right? Why should I be listening? Why should I be utilizing music? What is the purpose of music? So the principle of purpose. All right? What does the Bible have to say? All right, so we can divide our group up into, we've got some junior high young men, young ladies, senior high young men, young ladies, and uh, that will give us a couple of these. So I need a junior high young lady, 2 Samuel 22 and verse 50. Or, or do you want to do store drills? Would that be fun? No, nah, we'll just have everyone read today. All right, junior high, a junior high young lady. All right. So Serena's going to look up 2 Samuel 22, verse 50. I need a senior high lady, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Sorry, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 9. Thank you, Sophia. Uh, I need a junior high young man, Josh, Psalm 9, and verse 2. And then a senior high, not that Josh. Uh, yeah, you, you got it. 
Uh, I need a, a senior high young man, Ethan, Psalm 33, verse 3. And then I guess this is open to everybody. I need someone else, Romans 15 and verse 9, Titus, and Revelation 5, verse 9, Anthony, and then Ephesians 5, 18, uh, Luke, and everyone else go to Isaiah chapter 12, all right? So we're asking the question, we're, we're going to let the Bible define for us what is the primary purpose of music. That means, how should I use music in my life? We're going to answer that. And that God is very clear on, on this principle of, of purpose, all right? So 2 Samuel 22 and verse 50, can you read nice and loud? 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty. All right, you notice the phrase, sing praises unto thy name. Whose name? Obviously, God's name. Okay, 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. Sing unto him, sing songs to him. Through those songs, talk about his wondrous works. Okay, Psalm 9 and verse 2. Josh is still finding it. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 2. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Psalm 33, verse 3. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Sing unto him. Who's him? It's God. Sing unto him a new song. Revelation, or Romans 15, verse 9. All right, for this cause, I'm going to sing unto thy name, Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. A new song sung in heaven to the one who redeemed all to himself. All right, Ephesians 5, verse 18, very similar um, to the, our text passage. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And do not be satisfied with this, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spirituals, singing and making melody to the Lord. You realize what that's saying is when we're filled with the Spirit, we will be involved in utilizing music to sing songs unto the Lord if we're filled with the Spirit. Everyone else went to Isaiah chapter 12, and even if you looked up one, go to Isaiah 12, look at this verse together, Isaiah 12, and look at verse 2. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength, and my song, he has also become my salvation. So there's biblical, uh, um, a biblical example of really good alliteration. There's three S's, right? What are the three S's? God is my salvation. God is my strength. And God is my song. God is the topic of a believer's song. God ought to be the focus 
of a believer's music. So what is the primary focus of music? I think it's pretty obvious, right? The primary purpose of music is to glorify and worship God. The primary, that's the primary purpose of music. That's why God gave us that gift. That's why he programmed it into us, is to use it to glorify him, to worship him. That's the primary purpose. Now let me ask you a question. Does God care how we worship him? Okay, some of you are nodding your heads, yes. And I would agree with you. He does care how we worship him. How do we know that? How do we know that God cares how we worship him? Besides the fact that, you know, you hear it said from the pulpit once in a while. How do we know that? Anyone, anyone want to take a stab at it? Do we find examples of that in the Bible anywhere? Um, the entire law is instruction for the children of Israel. In fact, to be more specific than that, God devoted almost the entire contents, not all of the contents of Exodus, but the entire contents of Leviticus, most of Numbers, and Deuteronomy with just how he wanted the Israelites to worship him. Specific instructions. Does God care how we worship him? Well, I mean, Jesus said to the woman at the well that he's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Both with all of our being, but then also in the way that God has laid out, it should be done. So the primary purpose of music is worshiping God, and we ought to use the right kind of music in order to do so. So as we evaluate, is, is my music listening habits, do they, do they line up with my owner the way my owner wants music to be used? Do they, do they fit together? We can ask ourselves, am I observing, am I... Am I uh, uh, um, of thinking about the, the proper priority. Am I using music in the way that God wants me to use it? And the primary purpose is worshiping Him and glorifying Him. That, that means if you were to take all of your music li listening habits and lay them out, one should be obvious that it takes priority and there, it's, it takes up the most of your time, most of your music listening habits. That's what it means to be a priority, right? So there's a prim primary purpose, and we see this in our text in Colossians 3.16. We saw that in all the verses that we looked at. But there's also a secondary purpose, okay? So there's purpose number one, and then there's also purpose number two. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in, songs, in, in uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with Grace in your heart to the Lord. We, we talked about the primary purpose, and that is with the idea of singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. What's the secondary purpose of music then in that verse? Go back and look at it if you don't have it open. Go back to Colossians 3.16. What is the secondary purpose of music? 
look for the action words that are there. They're not in they're in verbal form. They're not in verb form, but they're in verbal form. And I'll give you bonus points if you can tell me what kind of verbal forms they are. <laughs> Anna looks at me like, um, ew, no. Okay, what are the two action words there? Teaching and admonishing one another. What kind of... Actually, I don't know. I couldn't check you. I'd have to think more. And I think gerunds would be the right term, but I would have to evaluate that to make sure that that's true. So I'll give you an extra piece of candy in my office if you can prove it. Which one? Anyway, teaching and admonishing is the secondary purpose. So the secondary purpose, if we could put that in another way, is to teach or to edify both myself and other people. So first priority, worship God, sing to God. Second priority, all right, listen to music that teaches me and even corrects me, spiritually speaking, teaching and admonishing myself. So before you go and hit play, how, how is this music going to glorify God, how is this music going to teach me and edify and even admonish me? We need to understand that, that, that music should not be chosen solely on its basis of entertainment value. Now, I'm really glad this afternoon that, that, that music isn't like, you know, uh, your cough syrup that you have to take when you have, have a cold. You remember when you were a little kid and you had to take medicine and, and maybe they don't do that anymore maybe you got pills that you can swallow but I remember the jars of medicine and they painted them pretty colors but man alive were they nasty you know you pour them in a the little cup and it's like bottoms up ooh, and it coats your throat all the way down but you took it because you know you were sick and you needed medicine and because your parents told you to um, so you just kind of you, you got through the medicine right because you knew it was good for you. I'm glad that music isn't like that. Like God says, here's your music, open up, you know, get it down. Oh, it's nasty. No, God has created music to be appealing to us. And there is a, a broad variety of all different kinds of, of music that can be used and are used to point to God, to glorify God, and even to edify yourself. You know, I tend to like, just because my own, this is my, a taste issue, I tend to like big choirs and lots of instruments and this big sound. And other people, they just, they just like the guy who's just picking on his, on his banjo and talking about, um, you know, that Jesus loves him. And that's, that's great, all right? We, we can have all different tastes of music. So, so God didn't make music as a torture mechanism, all right? However, music should not be chosen solely for its entertainment value. Music should be chosen for how it points to God and how it brings us into line with what God desires and what God wants. Do you realize the majority of secular music, as in non-Christian music, and actually, unfortunately, a lot of contemporary Christian music has the same goal, it has the exact opposite objective. Say, so how can you tell? I know they don't do albums much anymore, but still have album art, right? 
Here's, here's a good way, here's, here's a good indication that gives you a clue. Whose face is plastered all over said album? It's the artist, right? Because the purpose of that music is all about the artist, how talented that artist is, how good that, and we need to be careful of this, how good that artist is, and that artist made that music for the purpose of the listener's entertainment. So the, the, the lion's share, the majority of secular music is, is done for the artist's glory and for the listener's entertainment, which is the exact opposite of the primary purpose, which is glorifying God and building yourself up, spiritually speaking. It got everything flipped upside down. And of course, that creates issues, that creates problems. And so we can use the principle of purpose. Why am I listening to this? What purpose does God want whatever I'm about to turn on? What's his intent? Because, by the way, we remember that he is the owner. So there's a principle of purpose. There is also, number two, the principle of communication. We talked a little bit about this already. That music is a language. It's a language because it communicates. In fact, it communicates even more powerfully and, and even in a more broad manner than just language alone, than just words alone. It is that significant and it is that powerful. What is my music communicating? Because remember, good music has the power to teach, to teach us what's right. And it has the power to admonish, to actually correct us. And there have been times, you know, where I have the wrong attitude and you turn on some good music and the music actually corrects your attitude. It admonishes you. All right, that's, that's the power of good music. That's the, the communication of good music. All right, so what is, it, what is it about music that communicates? Help me out. What is it? What are some of the components of music that communicate? The lyrics, that's the first one we often think of. But this is a good place to start. Are the words that I'm listening to biblically, scripturally accurate and edifying? Not that this is a really good practice to do, but once in a while you hear secular music, just listen to the lyrics. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't really listen to that. Yeah, they're listening to something else. We're going to get to it. And it does feel good. All right, it does appeal to the flesh. But what are the lyrics saying? Even if there's nothing overtly sinful about what's being said, half the time they're just stupid. Just dumb. I remember there's this one song we were always making fun of because it, you know, it's one of those Starbucks songs and this lady singing and talking about every time I fell, every time I fell on you, and then she'd be like, and you're like, what in the world? It's stupid. That's what you want to be filling your minds with, stupidity? I mean, you're stupid enough already on your own, right? No, it's, it's not being kind, right? But it's just dumbness, which I know is not a word. But it's just dumb. And that's, that's the best that there is to offer. When you look at the, the teeny bopper boy bands, and what they're singing about, and you're just like, this is dumb, it's stupid. That's the best they have to offer. And then there are the very clear, hey, this is what they're singing about. This is what they're saying. And it is contrary to what God says. 
what the Bible says. That should be enough right there. But that's just the lyrics. A lot of people stop there. And they only say, well, you know, the words are good. But that's not the only part. Because I'm speaking to you in lyrics. And I'd be really, I'd be really skilled if I could make them rhyme. All right? Nowadays, I don't even know if they bother with rhyming. Unless you're rapping something. Um, not like with a bow. You understand what I'm saying. But that's only one component. There's three other components of music that communicate. There is the melody. That's the, the rise and fall. The lyric line. The melody line. What is the melody communicating? What is the tune actually communicating? There's also harmony. Harmony is the chords. Things like key changes, minor keys, major keys, dissonant keys. And I don't understand, you know, necessarily the... Uh, the, the music philosophy behind all of that, but I know it exists and I can hear it. And you can too because it's programmed into you. God put it in there. But the harmony communicates to you. The harmony is saying something. And you know what? The rhythm says something. That's the tempo. It's the speed. It's the beat pattern. 2-4, Or what are some of the weird ones I've seen? But anyway... All different kinds of... T- and and those, those beat patterns communicate something. And the world knows this. Which is why every piece of music that the world puts out has a beat to it. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But all of those pieces communicate. So you should ask yourself, what is my music communicating? What are the lyrics communicating? What is the melody communicating? What is the harmony What is the beat communicating? The principle of communication. Number three, we talked about the principle of purpose, the principle of communication. How about the principle of impact? And go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23. And here's the question to ask. What impact is my music having on me? Look at... 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23. This is a a powerful truth that's here. We see clearly demonstrated. At this point, you have King Saul, who has drifted so far from God, and his relationship with God is so strained that he's going through psychotic episodes. He's experiencing... um, He's, things, he's experiencing things like panic attacks. He's experiencing things like uh, out-of-control rage. His anger just explodes out of nowhere. And he's not thinking clearly. It's almost like he's lost his mind. He's so unstable. But notice what happens in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 23. The Bible says it came to pass. And by the way, all, a lot of this was where it came from was God, God's judgment upon him. And God allowing that evil spirit to come upon him. It says, it it came to pass that the evil spirit from God was upon Saul. You say, God has an evil spirit that he sends? Well, remember, God's still in charge. And there are these evil spirits like, hey, we want to torture Saul. And God said, sure, go ahead. That guy right there, you know, him. Have your way. And they did. And those evil spirits are torturing Saul. It says that David came to pass that when that happened, that David took a harp 
and played with his hand. And Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. That is amazing for a variety of different reasons. But it teaches us a couple things. It teaches us that music impacts or affects us physically. It says that Saul was refreshed, right? Physically speaking, his body was refreshed. It was kind of like, ah. Music affects us and affects you and affects me physically. But not only that, music affects us mentally. It says Saul was refreshed and was well. That means everything was good with his brain. Upstairs, he was finally thinking clearly. And then it says the evil spirit departed from him, which tells us that music affects us spiritually. The evil spirit departed. Think about this. Music has the ability to chase away evil spirits. Ooh, that sounds really creepy, doesn't it? What are these evil spirits? I don't allow your imagination to go wild. You're pretty acquainted with some of these evil spirits. Rebellion, anger, pride, jealousy, and we could go on and on. We're familiar with those spirits, aren't we? And sometimes we are oppressed by those spirits. We feel the desire to to act in those ways. You know, good music can actually help to chase those spirits away. I mean, get this, the reality of what this, this text is saying. God allowed an evil spirit who wanted to torture Saul to go and do that. He had, the, the spirit had permission from God. David plays good music on his harp, and the evil spirit says, Ah, <laughs> I'm out of here. This is not for me. Whoa. Wow. That's incredible. And think about this. If that's true on the, 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 the negative side of chasing away those evil spirits, that's also true in the, in the exact opposite, or not the exact opposite. Music has the ability to invite evil spirits. I'm sure I probably told some of you this story, but it's something I will never forget. My first job, I worked at Giant. And one day, normally I work day shift, but one day it's probably uh, working after classes at college. And so I was working into the evening. And in the evening time, that's when the night shift workers would come and break down trucks and do uh, stocking at night. And the night stock workers were, were a, a, they were a, rough, a rough group. I remember one time coming in Saturday morning at, at uh, 6 or 7, and uh, one of the, the head night stock workers was, was standing at the customer service counter. His shirt was off. His face was bloodied because some roommates just came in and, in the night while he was working and beat the, beat the daylights out of him. Right there in the store. And the store is open. I mean, that'll wake you up on a Saturday morning. Like, what in the world? And there are police officers outside. I mean, this is a, a, rag, a ragtag kind of tough group. And when they would come in to break down their trucks, they weren't satisfied with the, the pop music that was playing over the, the store speakers. They brought their own. And they had in the back a big boombox. And I remember, you know how they have the big swinging doors? And I had my U-boat. That's what they call them, all right? The, the little stock cart. I had my U-boat. I shoved that door open. And I heard the music. And it was heavy metal, what they were playing. Some sort of heavy metal. 
I don't know what they were saying because it just sounded like someone was just screaming. And I, I won't do it just to shock you, but that's what it just sounded like. Someone was screaming. And I know some of you have a smirk on your face, but it was screaming like disturbing screaming. And I felt as if just for the few moments that something reached inside of me, a la Indiana Jones, and grabbed my heart and just just squeezed it a little bit. Just like, and I was like, I'm out of here. That's craziness. You know what I think that was? I think that was the evil spirit that went right along with whatever music they were listening to. I really think that is true. And you say, you're getting all weird on us. Are you trying to scare us? If I could, I would. But what do we just, we, we open the message with the fact that God created, music's so important that God created an angel to oversee its use in heaven. Now that angel is our enemy who has an army of, of spirits doing his bidding. Why would he not use the one thing that he was the most skilled in in order to influence and oppress mankind? Why would he not do that? It doesn't make any sense. And of course he does. But think about now the positive impact. David played his harp. And you notice that the verse says he took his harp and he played it with his hand. It does not say he sang with his voice. There were no lyrics to the music that David was playing. And yet it still had the power to chase away an evil spirit. So evaluating the lyrics of your music is not enough. You need to evaluate what the music is on its own. What impact is my music having on me? There is an idea that music is amoral or amoral. And that just simply means there's no moral quality. It's like the internet. There's no moral quality to the internet. It just means it, it just depends on what you're trying to communicate with the internet. You can use the internet to communicate the gospel to somebody. You can also communicate horrible pornography to somebody. The internet itself is amoral. It depends on what you put on it. And a lot of people say, well, that's the same way with music. It just matters what lyrics you put on it. No, that's a lie. It's not true. And this passage clearly demonstrates David's playing with his hand. This is non-lyric instrumental music, and yet it still has the ability to make the environment so uncomfortable for an evil spirit that he says, I'm not in, I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out of here. That's incredible. What impact is my music having on me? Does it bring out attitudes of anger and rebellion? Does it, does it bring on thoughts of things that I shouldn't be thinking about? What impact is it having on me? It's the principle of impact. So we principle of importance, the principle of communication, principle of impact. Number four, the principle of separation. Is my music distinct and different from the world's music? We already know. We won't take the time to look. That The Bible clearly says that as believers, we are to be separate. We're to be distinct. And that includes the music that we listen to. Is my music distinct and different from the world's music? And here's some questions underneath that to help you determine that. Number one, 
Does my music contain the world's sound? Does it sound the same? This is a sad reality with most Christian music radio stations. There's one, I don't even know if they're still on the air, but they were one of the more popular ones in our area. And you had to listen for a good five minutes until you could determine, what kind of music station is this? Oh, I think I just heard the word Jesus, so I guess this must be, there was no distinction. Take a step back from what you're listening to, turn it on, walk in the other room. What does it sound like? That tells you. Does it sound like what you hear from your neighbors who blare their their music on holidays or when they're having a party? Is there a distinction? Is there a difference? How about this? Does my music have a distinction from the world's philosophy? Paul warned the believers in Colossians 2 and verse 8 to beware of the philosophy of men, the philosophy of the world. Do you know the world has a philosophy on everything? It has teachings on everything. There's a philosophy of romance. What is romance? What's it for? Um, Who should experience? When, When should they experience it? The world has a philosophy on romance. The world has a philosophy on sex. The world has a philosophy on relationships. The world has a philosophy on drugs. The world has a philosophy on alcohol. And we could go on and on. Does it contain the world's philosophy? Is it telling me, is it encouraging me to pursue after things that I know God doesn't want me to pursue? And here's one, and I'm going to stray a little bit because we, we have been dealing specifically with uh, principles, but I'm going to give you a standard of mine. Right? I'm not saying you should. this is what the standard that you should set, but this is something that has helped me, and perhaps it can help you as far as, okay, where do, I, where do I put my fence up? Where do I put my standard? Based on the principles, where do I put my standard? Here's the question. Does it contain the world's beat? Now, there are talented musicians who can evaluate certain music, and they can tell you chord structure, uh, 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 rhythm patterns, and all this sort of stuff, and, and they can... And I've had them tell me, like, okay, this song is not real good because it has all of this. And I understand what they're saying, and I sort of get it, but I'm not that talented musically. I, it just, it just kind of goes over my head. And I can see it maybe after they point it out, but I don't... You know, the world's beat is really easy to hear. It's really easy to distinguish. Anyone can do it. You say, well, what's wrong with it? Well, let me ask you a question. Why is it there? And can I say this? Why is it always there? It's never not there anymore. And to answer that question of why is it there, perhaps we should ask the people who are making it why it's there. Can I read you some quotes? Because they're going to tell us why it's there. Here's why it's there. I didn't write these. Secular artists and musicians, this is what they say. Rock music, okay, the the music with the world's beat. Rock music is sex. The beat matches the body's rhythm. That's what rock music is all about. Sex with a hundred megaton bomb, the beat. 
rock and roll, that's the beat, is 99% sex. That's what they're saying, okay? And all these are distinct quotes. One artist said, perhaps my music is sexy, but what music with a big beat isn't? Hmm. There you go. The throbbing beat provides a vital sexual release for adolescent audiences. Adolescents, that's you. A sexual release. Pop music, and maybe you say, well, oh, you know, I don't listen to anything with like really hard, hard beat. You know, I, I listen to pop music. Okay? Pop music revolves around sexuality. This is another quote. I believe that if there is anarchy, let's make it sexual anarchy rather than political anarchy. You know what anarchy is, right? Anarchy is do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel like it. He says, I don't care much about political anarchy, you know, in society, but let's make it sexual anarchy. And we wonder why we have such a problem with sexual deviance in our society. Moral impurity. Maybe it's fed by the music. Maybe. Here's another quote. Rock and roll is sex. Real rock and roll isn't based on cerebral thoughts. That's your brain. It's based on one's lower nature. Oh, as Christians, we understand what our lower nature is. It's the old man. It's the flesh. So it, it doesn't appeal to the mind. It appeals to the flesh. Rock expresses the body, hence sexuality, with a direct physical beat and an intense emotional sound. It is the beat that commands a directly physical response. The experience of the beat or the experience of rock is essentially erotic. We're just answering the question, why do they put it in there? This is why they're putting it in there. They're telling you. The ball's not hidden here. It's out in the open for everyone to see. Rock music has one appeal only, a barbaric appeal to sexual desire. I didn't say that. They did. And it was the beat, if we can add a little bit of what the Bible says, it was the, the beat in Exodus 32. It was the beat of that idolatrous music that was described by Joshua. Do you remember that? The golden calf that, 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 that Aaron makes by you know, throwing some gold in the, in, the, in the fire and all of a sudden it started mooing when this cow came out like, whoa, look at this. All right, And they had a grand old party and Moses and Joshua were up on the mountain and they come down because God says, um, the people are corrupting themselves. We're done talking. We need to go deal with that. So Moses and Joshua are coming down. Joshua's ministering to Moses and all of a sudden Joshua's like, wait a minute. It's the sound of war. And I'm sure he had that sword out and he was ready to go to war. And, and Moses is like, no, it's not the sound of war. It's their music. Is it any surprise that what was accompanying the music was partying and nakedness? And most likely along with that fornication seems to be pretty clear because that's what often accompanied worship of idolatrous gods in that way, and it, it does fit. Is any surprise that those two kind of came together? Think about how bizarre it is for Christians to be singing about God and to be singing about um, living for God and loving God 
And that's what the words that they're singing are saying. And the music is saying, listen to your body, do what your body wants, do what your flesh wants. You have this going on. Two messages. At best, they cancel each other out. At worst, you don't even hear the lyrics anymore. In fact, that's the way most of the world's music is. You don't even hear the lyrics anymore. You don't even need them, really. You're just like a sidelight. It's the music that's communicating to the flesh. And this goes right along with the fourth question. Does it contain the world's sensuality? I think it was this past year. I do enjoy football, all right? I do, I do enjoy watching a good game of football. I remember coming home on a Sunday night, Super Bowl Sunday. And they actually stream it, so I can actually watch a game, which is pretty rare. And turning it on during the halftime show. And then immediately having to say, because normally you could just kind of turn it on, mute it, and then kind of check and see if they're done, this, done the stupidity yet, get back to the game. But it's like, I can't even leave that on the screen. It was horrible. Think about the music videos. What are the artists doing? How are they dressed? What are they doing with their bodies? It's all sensual. It's all sexual. And is it any wonder the beat that they're using is sexual, the images that they're using is sexual? It's, it's, that's what it's all about. And unfortunately, Christians kind of come along and we say, well, we kind of like that whole speed, that whole image, so we'll do the same thing. And then and music videos are all about plastering the artist's face everywhere. And that's not real wise either. But if you are striving, and I hope you are, for moral purity in your life, why would you listen to music that is telling you that giving away your purity is the only thing that will make you happy? That doesn't make any sense. You say, well, I don't listen to that. I know what I believe. Do you remember in the beginning that music has, that music, the ability to communicate transcends language? You're being influenced in ways that you don't even know how to define. That's how powerful music is. Sensual music with a sensual beat appeals to our flesh. It's not a surprise. This is the danger, and you have to be really careful of, of, of music services because when you first set up an account, you first turn them on, they're going to throw all sorts of stuff at you to see what you like. And then if you click like or dislike, you know, it'll try to figure it out. But you need to be really careful because music's going to come on there and you're going to go, you know, I, that sounds good. I, I kind of like that. I told this story a couple of times. I don't know if I, you know, all of you generations, you kind of meld together. So if I told this before, I apologize. But there was a time in my college days where I would, I had a radio station tuned in my car for a specific show and it was a good show that was, that was on at a specific time. But I would come out after work and the rest of that station was devoted to pop music, whatever was pop at the time, whatever was popular. And at first I just left it on because, oh, what are they saying? 
You listen, oh, that's interesting what they're saying. And then, it, then you get to the point where you kind of like it. It appeals to you. You're looking forward to, to hearing it. Now, you wouldn't necessarily turn it on intentionally, but you're kind of looking forward to hearing it. And before long, it just kind of takes over. Now, if you find yourself in that place, I want to encourage you today. This is a constant struggle. This is not one of those things where you just, one time, you win the victory and you never have to struggle with music again. No, this is something that you have to continually be mindful of, that you have to continually kind of make adjustments in your life based on what God wants you to do. But I want to ask you, do you want to be feeding your flesh or feeding your spirit? If you watch any history... There was a historical event. I saw it for the first time years ago. I was watching a, a documentary on the Kennedys, the life of the Kennedys. And, of course, JFK being one of our presidents. And a very popular video, which if you've seen any documentaries on the Kennedys, you probably saw. The supermodel Marilyn Monroe sings happy birthday to the president. Now, she sang happy birthday the lyrics of happy birthday say, have a happy birthday. That sounds nice, right? What she was saying with how she sang happy birthday, not any surprise that most people are suspicious that there was an affair between Marilyn Monroe and JFK because that's how she sang it. Beware of the world's sensuality. If you're striving for moral purity, then why would you listen to something that is telling you that giving away your moral purity is the one thing that will make you happy? So what is the primary purpose of music in your life? How are you using music? Is it to glorify God and edify yourself and those around you to help you spiritually? And you know what? That one helped me. I'll have to be honest with you. I, I, I thought twice. You know, because there's some, there's some secular music that's not all bad. It's okay. It's good. But if I'm turning something on, would I rather have something that specifically just makes me feel good or something that makes me feel better and is teaching and admonishing me about God? I kind of prefer the latter. And that has affected my choices. What is, what, how are you using music? What impact is it having on you? What is your music communicating? How can you better enjoy music that will help you spiritually? And then think about this. What kind of music changes might God want you to make? Because remember, He's the owner of the car. You don't have the right to just turn on whatever it is you want to turn on because he lives inside of you. He's the resident. He's the owner of your body. He has the right to say what you listen to and what you don't. Is even your music submitted to him? Lord, thank you for speaking to us today. I know we could go on and on, and I probably have gone too long. But this is an incredibly important issue. I know for a fact there's young people in this room that are dabbling with, playing with 
music. And it's, a, it's accomplishing not your purposes in their life, it's accomplishing their enemy's purpose in their life. And I pray that you would help them to see, to help them to understand that the music they choose to listen to is incredibly important. And the choices that they make are incredibly consequential. I pray that we would take this issue seriously. I pray that we would take our enemy seriously and what he wants to accomplish. And I pray that even this issue would be in our hearts and our minds would be submitted to you. And I pray that you'd help some young people to make some godly choices. Maybe even some godly changes in this area because they have gotten to the place of being fully submitted to you. Thank you for this time and the study that we've had. Bless our time even tomorrow. They may teach and admonish us from your word. Continue to do so. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.